The following opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of Child Free Media Limited or its affiliates. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Pronatalism <laughs> panel. Yeah, welcome to the pronatalism panel. I'm Cody. I'll be one of the co-moderators. And I'm Lenora Fay, also one of the co-moderators. The other co-moderator. <laughs> so, thank <laughs> I'm you so used to saying co-founder. The moderator just isn't coming out today for some reason. <laughs> thank you to our sponsors, presenting sponsor, sponsor Chopri Media, champion level sponsor Chopri Wealth, other sponsors, 365 Diversity, Best Child Free Life Possible, found on Facebook. Buy Child Free, Buy Child Free, Child Free Family, Child Free Journals, StopHavingKids.org, StreamYard, and the books The Age of the Child by Kristen Tetsy and Wild Egg by Jennifer Flint. And our disclaimer, the opinions expressed within the content are solely the speakers and do not reflect the opinions and beliefs of the event or its affiliates. So with that, we will bring on our speakers for the pronatalism panel. We have Laura Carroll. Hi there. And Nanada Bajaj. Hello. Hello. So Hi. we've been throwing around the, the word pronatalism, which it might be the first time some people are even hearing it, but it's a big factor in their life, whether they realize it or not. Before we dive fully in all the way, please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Nandita, we'll start with you. Great. Um, I'm uh, Nandita Bajaj. I um, grew up in India until I was 17 and have lived in Toronto, Canada ever since. I currently work as the executive director of Population Balance, which uh, educates about overpopulation, overconsumption, and its intersectional uh, impacts on people, planet, and the animals. And I also teach a course on pronatalism and overpopulation at Antioch University. Very good. And Laura. Hi there. Well, I've been uh, researching, writing about, and um, I guess acting as a social activist for the Child Free Choice for probably over 20 years. And uh, I've written several books in, in, in full or in part that address the Child Free Choice and those who make it. And my latest is a longitudinal study on child free women. And um, I also am the author of The Baby Matrix, which takes a deep dive into pronatalism. So, um, so that's also why I'm here to talk about it. Awesome. So what is the definition of pronatalism? And we'll start with you, Laura. Well, I like, uh, there's several that have been in, in some books over the years, but the one I like that's the briefest is really, it's a system, uh, an old system of attitudes and beliefs that encourage reproduction and exalt the role of parenthood. And I say old because in the baby matrix, I go as far back as the times of Augustus when it was uh, these attitudes and beliefs were already introduced to help grow populations, encourage people to have more babies so that these civilizations could have more um, power and survive. Now, and we're all these generations later, a lot of people ask me, so why do we, why is it still around? Why do people believe some of these things? Well, it's because it fosters power, you know, business, business uh, likes it, Business needs babies and more people. The church does, government does. So it, it really, it's a perpetual thing um, that's power driven. And um, that's also why there's some of the attitudes and beliefs 
when you really look at them today, they're not so useful as they were generations ago, uh, or they were never true to begin with, but somehow it's so entrenched that people believe them anyway. So that's also what the baby mattress was about to try to see past all that. <clears throat> Anandita? Well, um, I must say that I was introduced to pronatalism through Laura. So first, uh, what an honor to be doing this with Laura. Um, <laughs> usually I use Laura's definition for pronatalism. So oh, there, Laura, I find it. Um, but, you know, I've taken the uh, work of pronatalism, uh, even through my course and my work at Population Balance, to look at the global uh, impacts of pronatalism. And Laura touched upon the different aspects of power. And I cover, uh, for example, nationalistic, ethnocentric, religious pressures, political economic pressures uh, put on people to bear children, and uh, sometimes through coercion. Um, so you see that happening in a lot of different ways, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, pretty soon. And it just uh, the, the simplest form for me, for at least a lot of societies, like you're giving, you're given kind of a life script to follow. It's like, you know, you go to school, get education, get a job, get married and have kids. It's always and have kids, have kids, it's like plural too, not just one. You have to have multiple kids, but they never talk about anything after that. But that to That's me right. is like it. it so if someone thinks they, they've never been touched by pronatalism, if, if that sounds familiar, you have. Um, so why is pronatalism an important topic to discuss within the child-free community? Boy, I think it's because it gets to the core of why society uh, fails to fully accept the child-free choice, why we get you know, flack about it, um, why there's myths and assumptions about it. And, um, it's like one of the biggest is uh, that there's beliefs and attitudes around that there's actually something wrong with us because we don't want to have kids. Or there's also the assumption that we should, it's in us to want children. And if we don't want them, there's something wrong with us, like biologically, which is a myth. There's no evidence to support that. Um, but in, in terms of being like, it's not normal, we get flack for not being like, you know, we have something wrong with us psychologically. We're not mature enough. Uh, it, it, it's involved with women in particular, our identity. It seems to be womanhood and motherhood are supposed to be synonymous. All these things, child-free people, you know, we have to dissect and talk about with people, say that, no, that's not true. And so pronatalism really, really drives this, why we have to even talk about child-free choice anyway. So that's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> it is. Nandita, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I got into uh, the work that I do because I uh, feel as a child-free person, um, there is a responsibility that comes with the privilege of having had the choice to not have children and understanding um, that the worst impacts of pronatalism are actually felt by uh, people who have the least degree of personal and reproductive autonomy. So the reason I feel so passionate uh, about um, speaking about this within the child-free community is people uh, who have chosen to be child-free are on the spectrum. There are some who always knew. There are some who, like me, kind of had an awakening later in life to the fact that this was even a choice that was open to me. I had always thought I was going to have cho uh, children because of pronatalism. So 
You know, I feel that with the privilege of having the choice comes the responsibility of lifting those who don't have the choice mm -hmm. um, into this uh, kind of autonomous space where we each are free to choose the life path that is the most fulfilling and meaningful to us. And so for me, it's, you know, a lot tied up with uh, advocacy work that we are called to do as um, child-free, privileged people. Not everybody is privileged, but you know, most mm -hmm. of us who have had the choice, um, when we get to the point where we are, we can sit in a position of comfort with it. Uh, it's nice to pay it forward. Yeah. So why should those outside of the child-free community care about or be aware about pronatalism and how it affects or even directs their life. Cause they're because winning. <laughs> they're, they're winning. <laughs> okay. That's the obvious answer. <laughs> again, like the, the lack of awareness is just because it's normal. Right. I mean, I, I'm not, not to answer the questions, but because it's, uh, this is normal. So why should they care if it's something that's normal? Uh, well, Laura, first, I, th I think people just, uh, they blindly believe these, these, you know, these beliefs and think in certain ways because it's so entrenched. Um, but I think to make the point that um, why should other people care, we can even start with parents. It, it, it impacts parents or would-be parents. There's all kinds of assumptions that are around that we're all aware of, like to have an only child. Ooh, you're not supposed to do that. Or if you have a miscarriage, ooh, you should feel shame or like something's really wrong with you. Uh, that's a big one. And why people can't talk about it. Um, also, um, you know, that having a biological child is best, you know, and people that want to pursue adoption, they're taught to believe that, well, they only do that if it's like the last case scenario. You know, these are things that imp impact people who are already parents or who are, who are thinking about being parents. And then there's negative societal and cultural impacts that, I mean, the list is so long. It's like how many people become parents when they're really not ready because they believe that parenthood is the next step. They just believe it blindly. Then, then their parent, as parents, maybe they're not really ready and they become unfit parents. And then, then the children suffer from that. We see that all over foster kids and kids being, you know, just, um, victims of their parents in a whole slew of ways. Um, and then it's opening up to just the larger global thing that you know population balance is all about is, is that it, it fuels overpopulation and all the impacts that that has um, with the climate crisis and on the whole planet. So those are the kinds of things that um, I also talk about in the, the baby matrix and a lot of people who aren't child free have read the book and <laughs> their eyes open to it. It is all over and it really relates to all of us. Yeah, Nadita, what do you think? Yeah, um, so the couple of things I'll add to that is again, um, parents you know, who have taken my course, um, they express this, um, they, they, they express the pressures they have experienced as parents to have it all, to um, meet this unrealistic standard of perfectionism, to be incredible parents, but also to be inc incredible leaders in the workplace. So it just places all of these really unrealistic uh, pressures on people to be perfect. And there's no kind of nobody living in that way. Um, but then, um, you know, some of the things that we also discuss is 
parents who are really interested in helping to raise children with empathy, autonomy, and care need to understand how they uh, may be perpetuating pronatalist beliefs for their own kids by in the language that they speak, in the inevitability of parenthood that they may be pushing on their parent, uh, on their own kids, but then also professionals in the workplace, teachers, doctors, nurses, social workers, HR representatives, you start to look at how alive pronatalism is, not just in politicians and, and religious leaders, but it's the water in which we're swimming. And if these folks are really interested in helping to people make liberated, authentic choices for themselves, professionals need to be aware of what pronatalism looks like and how not to perpetuate uh, those belief systems. You brought, both brought up a, a good point with like parents, like, and I was kind of joking about it before. It's like, well, they're winning. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you're following a life script and you have a kid, well, society is going to say, well, you should have two. Like, why do you just have one? It's going to be lonely or whatever excuse they want to mm -hmm. give the parents. Mm -hmm. And so then they have two kids and like, well, great. We had two. We're done. Right. And like, no, that's just replacing yourself. We have to have more than two kids. So now you have to have another kid on top of that. So yeah, I mean, parents, parents get it too. And it, like, if any parents watch this uh, now or in the future, like give us your thoughts on that. It's, it's mm -hmm. uh, an interesting <clears throat> way to look at pronatalism and how it, 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 it affects everybody. Um, yes. So are all the aspects of pronatalism negative? Well, we talked about this before the show and uh, we kicked it around and I think we both landed it, um, you know, based on what we know and have studied and see, uh, the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even give okay. it a chance. It's yeah, like... I know. Thanks for coming. That's the tell. <laughs> no, well, we did, you know, we tried to think what would be positive about it, but every whenever we discussed it, we'd land it, it, it the positive impact or the thing wasn't really pronatalism. So I think it, it mostly it lands at no, um, because pronatalism is about the perpetuation for me of reproductive conformity, okay, for the sake of power, for the sake of what is supposed to sur surmise is power, I mean, uh, survival and power. So if as long as that continues, um, it promotes the pressure to have children, we get disinformation about that, about reproduction and parenthood to keep that, you know, umbrella on us of, of different kinds of beliefs to, to, to keep people believing that they should. So in that world, we just couldn't see anything that comes in there that goes, you know what, that would be good or that would be good. <laughs> the work was always, well, that's not pronatalism. So, right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, I work in the space of um, population stabilization. And one of the things that often gets brought up is uh, the dark legacy of population control um, mm -hmm. that has impacted some of the most marginalized communities. Um, people of color, BIPOC, um, LGBTQ folks, people seen as unfit to reproduce through the legacy of eugenics, forced sterilizations, forced abortions, China's one-child policy, et cetera. Um, but what we are trying to bring, kind of shine a light on, is pronatalism is the oldest form of reproductive control. Mm -hmm. And because of the things Laura has said, for example, it's considered to be natural and normal, and people just say, well, Nobody should be telling anybody how many kids to have, except 
everyone is telling everyone how many kids to have in terms of the power structures that are pushing us um, to have children, in terms of the media, the religious leaders, the politicians, the economists. So it's not really that free a space uh, in terms of reproductive autonomy. And so to answer your question, you know, same as Laura, I don't believe that any form of pronatalism is, uh, has a place in society because by its very nature, it's autonomy diminishing. And mm -hmm. it's a form of reproductive control, just mm -hmm. like the other types of reproductive control. So uh, that, that was that, a question that came to mind was, can autonomy and pronatalism coexist? And, and just as you were wrapping up, you kind of answered that question, but mm -hmm. that it, it's scary to think about you yeah. know, can they, can they coexist? And so really? that, that's going to be like the takeaway for the comment section forever now is, are all aspects of pronatalism negative? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, we are open if people see, you know, people see something or understand something, we're, we're open to continuing to learn, but boy, the, the deep dive into it, it's really, it's more important. I think that the work is to uncover what's true, what are the true facts and what's beliefs, what are beliefs and what are old, they're so old that we we just can't see through it. So that's one reason I did the baby matrices just, just to have people see through into a new context of what really is true. And, and if we can get more people living from those truths, it will, it will start to chip away at this phenom that's, you know, a behemoth. It's big and old, but it can be chipped away the more people are aware of what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. I'm just and, you know, I've taken the position both at Population Balance and in the course that I teach is pronatalism is not only a form of reproductive manipulation and control, but it's also led to so many other intersectional issues. Mm -hmm. uh, just like population control efforts of the past mar uh, affected marginalized communities the most, pronatalism impacts people within marginalized communities the most. Um, people with the least degree of per personal and reproductive autonomy are the ones that are at the mercy of these pronatalist forces, forced to have many, many children, forced to have uh, forced to feel shamed for uh, not being able to have children, um, forced to have to not be um, able to have abortions, all of the stigmatization even around contraceptive use. Um, mm. it's, no, it's no big surprise that there are a couple of hundred million women that we know, uh, this is within a pronatalist context, couple of hundred million women who wish to access contraception or avoid the next pregnancy who are not able to do it, not because they don't have access to contraception, but because there is so much misinformation and myths surrounding mm -hmm. contraceptive use, like mm -hmm. you'll get cancer or, you know, you're not a real woman um, or that you're promiscuous mm -hmm. if you're on contraceptives because you're, you know, probably sleeping around. And so a lot of damaging aspects of pronatalism. It's it to me. It goes beyond just the child-free choice. It actually so much is about reproductive justice. Yes, um, and the impacts that it has on population growth, but then also the vicious cycle that population growth creates for those already um, fighting against patriarchal structures like poverty and. Um, 
you know, ecological crises that they, again, are impacted by the most. And well guess, said. Be, being a guy uh, up here, I, I can say from looking looking at how women are, are under the microscope of pronatalism, guys, we don't get it that bad. We, we really don't. And someone made a comment about misogyny. And yeah, I mean, at its core, pronatalism is misogyny to try to control especially women to uh to be reduced to just having children and then for in a lot of societies the women are also charged with now raising that child and that limits that limits humanity uh, it, it as far as like the ability for for education and knowledge you know we always hear it's like oh you're child free well you should have a kid that kid could cure cancer there's probably a woman in another country right now that could have they could cure cancer but they're raising five kids because their society right. is telling them to that's right right so, yeah. yeah sorry soapbox over no <laughs> I, yeah, you make you make a good point about that it's a different experience with men but you know if you go back generations men were they were running governments they were running churches and it's still pretty true today you know it's it's better but um the men are the men are running it and um, in a lot of different ways, the power structures. And so that same machine is is now still playing out. It's just the, the layers are so much deeper. And as Nandita was saying, that the population is so much bigger. Uh, wow. And it's, so it grows, you know, so much faster. Um, and it's in, and the negative effects happen so much faster. Um, I also look at it, too, is is a in a if we were more past this, that there's so many positive things. Think of if we, we how many unwanted children we wouldn't see, mm -hmm. how many kids we wouldn't see suffering, how many mm -hmm. kids, you know, so it's not just about we, we people who don't want kids or have ended in a situation where we haven't had kids. It is, it can be about the kids, you know, that, mm -hmm. that are brought into the world. I think that's really important to, to bring up and to shine a light on as well. And, you know, th this comment has been thrown around a lot, too, but it is interesting how the child-free community actually does care about the yeah. children. It doesn't have to be specific, like, to yeah. one kid. It's, it's you know, people are thinking, mm -hmm. you know, many are thinking about choosing, you know, to not have kids. Why? How does that affect, you know, the ripples effects of that? And yes. showing concern for those younger generations that exist and, you know, those that are being brought into the world. And, you know... Even this conversation, like it's child, we're, you know, child free people are not the only one talking about pronatalism, but right now we are, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right in this now. particular moment. And, and it's interesting because, you know, the child free community has such a, it, it's, um, sorry, things are starting to, to fade in my mind all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> it, it's misunderstood, sorry, which was why we're all here speaking about our child free choice and what that means. And, you know, what do you what do you both think about you know as you continue your work in the various fields that you, uh, that you do work in, um, and expressing your child free your choice your child free choice, encouraging others to speak up about it. How do you think that will help? I mean, it's again sounds like an obvious question, but to the outside, you know, those that are not in the child free community, how do you think continuing this message? will land. I mean, even with the last panel talking about into the future, you know, five, 10 years down the road, what, what are your hopes with this? 
Well, I think I hope that the more aware people can be and to see through a lot of the myths that pronatalism perpetuates, that people begin to, and it's it's already happening, which is great, have the willingness to talk about it openly with people that you know in your personal life, your professional life, be uh, brave enough to try to uh, change some policies in the workplace so that it's they're not so child-centric either. You know, that's tough business. It has to be done with groups of people. It has to be organized. And so the more aware, the more people that are aware and find each other, the, that begins a wave of, of, I think, more positive change. And also to see in the end, just a greater level of um, reproductive responsibility in, in our world. Um, I think that's a, to me, that's a big end game. And to me too, I think if, if we can chip away at it, it really does open the door more to, for the child-free choice to really show that um, we finally reached some kind of full reproductive freedom. <laughs> now, now there's some complications with that in our laws <laughs> in the United States, but but I, it's it's saying that that the that the choice not to is as valid as the choice to. If we can mm -hmm. get there, that really, in my mind, is a level of true reproductive freedom because it really is about the choice. In the end, it's our choice, and as Nandra was saying, it's 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 our autonomous choice that we be, we begin with. Nobody else is deciding it for us. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with that, we will wrap this panel up. Is there anything that you would like to plug, promote, let people know how to get in touch with you? Laura, would you go first? Sure. Uh, well, I invite you to just go on uh, Amazon and, and my website, lauracarroll.com, and check out my latest uh, longitudinal study. Uh, it's, a, it's a publication that summarizes a, a study I did over a 10-year period with 25 women. And I think it, it touches on some of the things we even talked about today, um, just tracking how this choice evolves over time and women's experiences, et cetera. Learned a lot. And the women that were part of the study, they were awesome. I think anybody with or without you, I don't care what you, you know, uh, you're, where you are at on it, everybody should learn from these women. And quickly, August 1st is International Child-Free Day on Monday. Yay. So everybody do something out there that uh, celebrates your child-free choice. <laughs> Great. And uh, for me, people can uh, visit populationbalance.org to learn more about the work that we do. Um, I am a humane educator. I graduated from the Institute for Humane Education. I teach there. And the work that we do, which also bleeds into my work at Population Balance is that we are fighting for justice for people, animals, and the planet. So we really are looking at the broad scope uh, of, of looking at ourselves as not only our important political identities, but also as a species, as a human species that owes uh, our attention to the planet that we're on. Uh, on populationbalance.org, you can also find information about the graduate open online course that I teach on pronatalism and overpopulation. And it's open to anyone um, and it's all online. And you can find out more about that through uh, the website. And I hope some of you will consider joining the course. It's all discussion based. Uh, we meet every week on Zoom and we have the most otherworldly conversations about this topic. So. Thank you guys for having us. This was such an amazing yes. Thank you uh, opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode presented by Child Free Media Limited. 
To stay current with child-free content like this, please visit childfreemedia.com and subscribe to the newsletter.